Our second scripture reading today comes to us from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Listen again for God's word. May it speak into your life today. Listen. He entered Jericho and was passing through it. A man was there named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was short in stature. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore tree to see him, because he was going to pass that way. When Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried down and was happy to welcome him. All who saw it began to grumble and said, He is gone to be the guest of one who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood there and said to the Lord, Look, half of my possessions, Lord, I will give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. Then Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek out and to save the lost. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning once again. It's so great to be with you today on this Communion Sunday, which is also our annual meeting Sunday. Um, I want to say hi to everyone who's worshiping online again on Facebook Live and YouTube, those listening to this sermon podcast later in the week, and to all of you who are here in person. It's good to see you. It's good to be with you. We have a real treat today because the Bible lesson we have from the Gospel of Luke is a story that is so rich and interesting and challenging. It seems like a simple story, like something you've heard before and you maybe remember from when you were a little kid, the story of Zacchaeus. Think about it like almost like it's a picture out of a children's Bible like this one. You know, just, let's see if we get it. There you go. That's how we think about this story. There's even a song that goes along with it, and some of you know it. Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. Someone here is from Northern Ireland, and they're like, stop trying to imitate my accent. Sorry, man. I see you. Um, But there's more to this story than we might remember. There's more to this story than a simple uh, children's tale. It's about Zacchaeus. And a friend in my Bible study this week pointed out that the word Zacchaeus, the name, literally means pure or or innocent. It's kind of an ironic name because we know that Zacchaeus is anything but pure or innocent. He's a tax collector. This meant that he was an agent of the Roman Empire, which occupied Israel-Palestine in the first century. Even though he was Jewish, he was a collaborator with the hated occupying army. He was part of the unfair taxation system and exploitation. He was far from pure or innocent. And the way it worked was that Zacchaeus was empowered to collect a certain amount of taxes from his area. That was the amount that he had to then deliver to the Romans. But then, it turned out, he could charge whatever he wanted or whatever he could get, whatever he could extort from the people. And then he could take his cut off the top. So he could get a premium from people in taxes. That's how he got so rich. He was the chief tax collector, so he was not just a low-level employee. He was the head, or at least high up on this pyramid scheme. Kind of reminds us of a mafia protection racket or something like that. Zacchaeus used his position as a tax collector to enrich himself at the expense of other people. And the other people 
were his neighbors. They were his own community. You can imagine that Zacchaeus was not somebody who was well-liked. He was not well-loved. He was not well-received when he came into the town square or the synagogue or someone's home. If somebody was going to be called pure or blameless, it wouldn't be Zacchaeus. The other detail that we remember about Zacchaeus is that he was short in stature. The Greek word is literally mikros, micro, small. I wonder if this physical detail in this story is meant to reflect partially his social standing. People didn't think much of him. Or his spiritual state, where he's kind of this spiritual shrimp who hadn't really lived his life in a right way. But despite what you might think or what we might think about a person like Zacchaeus, when Jesus came along, like so many others, Zacchaeus wanted to see who he was, what he was all about. He wanted to see Jesus, but the crowds were so big and he was so small. I was at my son Theo's uh, play this week at his school. It's Beauty and the Beast Jr., and uh, he plays the baker. And his one key line is, Marie, the baguettes, hurry up. Very cute. Um, But I was only six rows back, but even just six rows back, I still had a hard time seeing everything going on because people were sitting right in front of me. And so all the pictures I have are really pictures of the back of somebody else's head sitting right in front. It's tough. Or maybe it makes us think about the news coverage this past week of of Pope Francis on his trip through Africa. He was in the Democratic Republic of Congo, and um, it's it's a country in Central Africa, and the crowds there were huge. I'll show you some pictures here. Groups of children danced and sang as the Pope drove by. A choir was there that had 700 people in it. Choir. 700 people in the choir. Not bad. Some estimates said that there were up to one million people who attended Mass the day that the Pope was there speaking. Congo, the Congo, has the largest population of Roman Catholic Christians in all of the continent of Africa. So this kind of uh, reception shows the vibrancy of their faith and the way that they wanted to be close. They wanted to come and see the Pope. And so there is Zacchaeus also trying to see an important and holy person. And he was also dealing with these crowds of people, so he couldn't see well. And so he did maybe a smart thing. He climbed up in a tree to get a better view. So now the paradox of this man is is coming a little bit more clear for us. He's physically small. He's socially isolated. He's rich in possessions but poor in spirit. And yet he's curious. He's open. He's searching Something inside of him wants to get closer to Jesus. And I want to pause there and ask you, just as we hear it so far, do you see anything of yourself in this story? Have you seen anything of yourself so far in this story? Zacchaeus, who worked the system and had gotten to a pretty good place in his career. Do you know anyone like that? Zacchaeus, who wishes he had more friendships and relationships, but he doesn't really know how. Does that sound familiar? Zacchaeus, who isn't part of the crowd that follows Jesus, but he's observing it. He's close by. He's drawn in, even though he's not fully a part of it yet. Does that sound like you? He's up in the tree, and Jesus walks by. And Jesus says, looks up and sees him and says, come down from that tree. Come down from that place of distance or safety. You want to get closer to me and to others? Come right down, because I'm coming to your house today. I want to come over for dinner. 
And this is a big deal because hospitality in the Middle East is part of the culture. And in Jesus' time, it also showed a certain kind of social standing. It, it meant something that Jesus chose to eat dinner at Zacchaeus' house. It was an honor. He was showing him great honor. Got me thinking, you know, who do you um, eat your meals with in a typical week? Who are the people you usually eat a meal with? Who do you break bread with? I suspect it's mostly your family, you know, at home, or maybe just by yourself on a lunch break or for a breakfast sandwich on the go, one of those delicious, really good ones. Um, is it always the same people that you eat with week by week, or do you mix it up? Do you have regular groups of people that you gather with, friends, somebody in your neighborhood? Is there somebody you wish you could have a meal with? Is there somebody you wish would invite you? There's something hap that happens when we sit down to eat together. First, it slows us down, because you can't run off in the middle of a meal. You've got to finish it. It makes us equal when we sit down and eat at a table, because everybody has the same need. We've all got to eat. We've all got to chew. It brings us close, because at a table, you're in proximity to others. Notice this, in his life and ministry, Jesus often is eating with other people, whether it's his disciples, his friends, or in this case, with somebody that he wants to get to know a little bit better. Jesus uses mealtime as an opening for deeper connections. So I don't know if you are like Zacchaeus in some way, or maybe you know someone like him, but what would it look like if we tried to follow the Jesus model for spiritual friendship? Inviting or asking someone to eat, and then letting that be the setting, the time in which the Spirit moves. Maybe making time in your own calendar for it, seeking a chance to sit and talk, joining the Tables of Eight, which is just announced in our bulletin today. Mealtime can be holy time if you let it. Who would you invite in the time ahead? Something else that I notice um, is that Jesus sees Zacchaeus on the edges and he wants to bring him closer. I'll tell you the truth. Um, when you read the Gospels, Jesus is very consistent on some things. And one of those is that he looks out for people on the margins. Jesus is always looking out for those on the margins, for women, children, the sick, the poor, the religiously or ethnically different, like Samaritans. And interestingly, Jesus has a soft spot for tax collectors. It's really fun. He has this message of good news for the poor, and so we say, yay, good job, Jesus. But Jesus also has a place in his heart where he is so kind to, to tax collectors, to those who have accrued a kind of wealth, and he wants to come close to them too. I don't know what it is, but he loves those guys. He goes to Zacchaeus' house. There's multiple examples of him doing this. He goes to his house, he eats with him, he stays with him, and that is when the grumbling and the mumbling and the murmuring and the complaining begins. This is also a theme in Jesus' ministry. People do not always agree with or appreciate who he decides to include, to invite, to forgive, to get to know, to show mercy to. And this is true in this story as well. So if you're not tracking with it, if you are, somebody on the way in told me I was drinking coffee. They said, you're drinking coffee to keep yourself awake during your own sermon. And I said, hey, um, if you're not tracking, let me see if we can get back. Um, here it is. Jesus has gone to hang out with a guy whose life and lifestyle make him persona non grata among some of the religious folks of his day. This is a person who works with the Romans, who steals through his taxes, who's part of an unjust system, who flaunts his wealth. And yet... 
and yet, and yet. Jesus has a heart for anyone who would be open to him, who would come close to him, who would wish to see him. I think Jesus loves it when we climb a tree or take a step or pray a prayer or try to make amends or hold on for dear life at the end of a rope because we know that we can't do it on our own. Our, our way of life isn't working the way it's meant to be. And Jesus loves it when we humble ourselves again and again to come towards Christ who is here with these open arms. So Zacchaeus, in this story, he stands up in his house with people who are there who are still really unconvinced that he deserves for Jesus to be there with him. And he says, look, half of my possessions I will give to the poor. Anyone who has needs, I'm giving away half. And if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will pay back four times as much. And this is a really astonishing statement. He begins by saying he's going to give half of his money to those who need it. Seems like a lot. Then he says if he's defrauded, cheated, stolen from anybody, he will pay it back. Not just what he took, but he's going to make restitution. He will pay four times as much as he stole. Some of you will know that this is related to other places in the Bible. This is a theme. In Leviticus 6, it says that if somebody steals or cheats or defrauds a neighbor, they must pay back the full amount plus 20%. 20% restitution. That seems good. 2 Samuel chapter 12, when King David hears about someone who steals a lamb from his neighbor, he says that the man must pay back the, 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 the value of the lamb plus four times what was taken. So Zacchaeus seems to be aware of these biblical standards. Zacchaeus knows his stuff. He's trying to be generous to the poor. He's trying to pay more than the Old Testament Leviticus standard. And he's trying to meet the amount that even King David set. Pretty good. Jesus hears all that he says and proclaims salvation has come to this house. For this too is a son of Abraham. He's also among us Hebrews. He's in the tribe. He's in the family. He's good with me. Because I've come to seek and save the lost. And he's one of those. But then this last week, I was in a Bible study on Wednesday, and my class, we had this long discussion about this part of the story. This was a very interesting part of this story to people. The way that Zacchaeus, who has defrauded so many people right through his work as a, as a tax collector, he's trying to make amends. And some people read this with suspicion, with suspicion. They, were, they just didn't buy it. They said, wait a second, this guy has done all these bad things, and now he's the one who gets to decide what his payment is, like what his restitution is, like he's his own judge in his own trial, or if you find your kid stealing cookies out of the pantry, like I did this week, and, they, and I said, well, what would be a, an appropriate punishment? And then they said, well, I guess it would be fair if you only gave me one scoop of ice cream for dessert. That, that doesn't make any sense. So in my Bible study, we spent like 15 minutes doing napkin scribble calculations, you know? Now, how much did he get? How much did he steal? How much does he owe? What is half of that? And then maybe he's getting off too easy. Sounds like a lot, but is it? Maybe he's somehow kind of setting up like a, an offshore tax corporation to kind of shield his wealth or to try and protect his ill-gotten earnings. Someone said it sounds like he's trying to buy his way out of trouble. Maybe that's what's going on here. He's trying to buy his way back into the good graces. You know, it's one of the devil's favorite lies to tell us that with enough effort, do enough, you can do all that the law commands. 
Do enough, you can be good enough. Maybe Zacchaeus is trying to do just that, to meet the biblical standard, to do it all. But I want to be careful with this kind of suspicion as I read this story. I want to be careful with it because it could put us into another kind of trap. Another one of the devil's favorite lies is this. With enough sin, you can undo the gospel. Mess up enough times and you could be on the outs. Maybe that voice that whispers, you are too far gone. There is no help for you. Zacchaeus, it doesn't matter how much you give. It doesn't matter how much you do. You are a lost cause at this point. Maybe you've heard that lie too. Maybe you've heard that lie, Presbyterians of Los Gatos, which says that your life has gotten so off off track, so far into sin or brokenness, the ways that you've hurt others or neglected to do the right things, your own biases, your own hard-heartedness, your sharp words, the failings, whether public or private, that it puts you beyond being helped or healed or saved or loved. There's a voice that might tell you that very thing. But no, that's a lie if we believe the words and message of Jesus who says, I have come to seek and save the lost. So maybe we're actually more like Zacchaeus than we know. Perhaps we're human like him. We have failings like him. We have an instinct where we try to get ourselves out of stuff when we get ourselves in like him. But what you need to know is this good news that Jesus has come to your house. He has come to our house. He has come near to us. He has come near to you. And this is good news. I want to call it a hermeneutic of hope, a way of reading Scripture that says, don't look at it with suspicion when God is up to something in someone's life. Greet it as good news. Joyfully join into into hearing it and living it. That God is seeking us out even in our places of hurt and pain, sin and shame. I don't want you to listen to that voice, and you know the one that's saying you're not enough. You're never going to be enough. The past is always with you, holding on to you. Everything you do just comes up short. Don't listen to that voice. Instead, listen to the voice of Jesus, the voice that calls you today, the voice that spoke words of grace and mercy to Zacchaeus, the one who says it's never too late, And you're never too far. So here's the amazing thing. Just like in this Bible story, Jesus wants to share a meal with us. And we're going to do that today. And it's this communion meal that's set here in the front. The table is not set for those who deserve it. It is not set for those whose lives are perfectly in order. It is not set for you only once you figure everything out. You are invited to this table of grace today just as you are. And the reason is that Jesus himself is the one who's asking. It's Jesus who's come calling. So will you come? Will you come and eat with him? Will you come and let him do his work in you? I pray that you will. Amen.